Job, the 14th chapter, 
and the 14th verse. If a man die, shall he live again? When Peppa Martin was the hero of the 1931 World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals, he was asked, what was his greatest ambition in life? And he replied, to go to heaven. If a man die, shall he live again? Men have asked that question for centuries. They've speculated, they've analyzed, they've thought, they've imagined, they've studied, they've grasped at every shred of evidence that points to the possibilities of a future life. If a man die, shall he live again? What is death? Is there a future life? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? What does the future life consist of? And the belief in the immortality of the soul is intuitive and instinctive. Something down inside of all of us tells us that there must be a life after death. Long before Christ, the Egyptians were building elaborate pyramids for their dead and making provision for life beyond the grave. African chiefs were buried with several wives to give him companionship in the future life. The Norsemen, who had never seen a Bible, were burying horse and armor with many of their warriors so that they might fight in the afterlife. The American Indian was talking about the happy hunting ground. And it's a universal phenomenon. I took my work in college in anthropology. We never found a tribe anywhere in the world. Never found one tribe but what believed in life after death. I think our sense of justice demands it. The whole world today is out of balance. Do you mean to tell me that Nero and Hitler and other tyrants of history who sat on thrones while godly saints were sent to the dungeon, the scaffold, and the flames all end up the same? I tell you, there is a mighty supreme court in the universe somewhere that is going to straighten it all out and where the balances of justice will be permanently balanced. If a man die, shall he live again? Is an age-old question that comes to us tonight with a thundering impact. As our scientists are talking about the end of the world and the possibility of the destruction of civilization, and just one wrong move by some of our diplomats could plunge us all into eternity by intercontinental missiles and hydrogen bombs, when we read about the death rate on our highways, the death rate by cancer and heart disease, none of us here tonight knows whether we're going to be alive or not tomorrow. Life is the most uncertain thing in all the world. We never know when our moment is coming. Life is brief. Life is short. The Bible says it's like the flower that fades. It's like the grass that withers. It's like a weaver's shuttle. It's like a shadow that passes. Life is brief and short. And the question comes to us all. After the days have passed and my life is over, shall I live again? Or when I die, is that the end of it? Is my personality, my soul, my spirit, my intelligence, my conscience, everything destroyed and it's all one big black dark blank? What is it?
the Bible teaches, in both the Old and the New Testament, life after death. The Bible clearly teaches it. Nobody can pick up the Bible without realizing that the Bible is filled with life after death. Nobody can study the teachings of Jesus without realizing that he believed and taught life after death. The patriarchs, the psalmists, the prophets all looked into the future. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God eternal in the heavens. The Bible says that Enoch was not. He walked with God and was not. God took him. The Bible tells us that Elijah was taken to heaven on a chariot. The Bible is filled with life after death. Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus said it. Was Jesus a liar? You've got to make up your mind about Jesus. Either he was who he claimed he was, the son of the living God, or he's the biggest quack in history. And you've got to decide, and everyone in this room has got to decide, what about Jesus? If Jesus is who he claimed to be, the son of the living God, who died for our sins on the cross, and only by the shedding of his blood can our sins be forgiven, then I better come to that cross and give my all to him. But if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, then let's forget him and write him out of our books because he's a liar. He claimed to be God. He claimed to raise the dead. He claimed to have the truth concerning eternal life. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, gives almost a whole chapter. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're always confident knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Oh, the Apostle Paul said, the moment you're absent from the body, if you're a Christian, the next moment you're in the presence of Christ. That's the hope that Paul had. No one can read the teachings of Paul without realizing he was living for that day. He said to die is gain. He was looking forward to death. Death held no fears and terrors for Paul. He believed in life after death. He believed he was going into the presence of Christ. Christ taught there two ways of life. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. He taught there two masters. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will love the one and despise the other. He taught there two fathers. He said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. There is a sense in which we believe in the fatherhood of God. We are all the sons of God by creation. But because of our sins, we have been separated from God so that now God looks upon us as in two classes, the children of the devil and the children of God. Jesus made it very plain in John 8, 44. I can't get around that text. 
There's the saved and the lost. There are those on the broad road and those on the narrow road. There are those that are serving the flesh and the world, and there are those that are serving Christ. They're not three classes, four classes, five classes, six classes, only two. And Jesus also made it plain that there are two destinations. There is the place of destruction and judgment, and there's the place that is called heaven. Well, what is the nature of the life to come? First, what about the sinner? The man that deliberately rejects Christ, the man that neglects Christ all through his life. You've had an opportunity to give your life to Christ. You've had an opportunity for this encounter with the living God. You've had an opportunity to be born again of the Holy Spirit, but you've neglected it. You've put it off. You've rejected it. All right, the Bible says, because of breaking God's law, we are under judgment. And every person here tonight has broken the law of God. If you have ever failed to keep the Ten Commandments, even at one point, you're guilty of all. If we fail to keep one of the commandments, we're sinners, we're lawbreakers, we've come short of God's requirements, we've come short of God's righteousness, because, you see, when God created you, He gave you the ability to choose. You can either choose to live for God and serve God, or you can live any kind of life you want to, and there's nothing God can do about it because He gave you that gift. You don't have to serve God if you don't want to. You don't have to go to church if you don't want to. You don't have to read your Bible if you don't want to. You don't have to live a godly, Christ-like life if you don't want to. Live any kind of life you want. There's nothing God can do. He gave you the gift of choosing. But God said if you choose to live that kind of life, if you choose to live apart from Christ, he said there's judgment and destruction and hell in the future. Now, there are many scriptural words that describe hell. It's called in Psalm 11:6 a horrible tempest. It's called in Psalm 18:5 a place of sorrows. It's called in Matthew 13:42 a place of wailing. It's called in Matthew 8:12 a place of weeping. It's called in Luke 16:23 a place of torment. It's called in Matthew 8:12 a place of outer darkness. It's called in Revelation 20:15 a lake of fire. Whatever it means, Jesus warned us not to go. And he said that if your eye offends you, pluck it out. I think he meant that literally. Pull your eye out because it would be better to go through life with no eyes than to go to hell. I've studied this book for 20 years and I've tried to get around it and I can't. I can't study the teachings of Jesus without believing that men are lost. And I believe that one minute after death, those outside of Christ will discover the horrible mistake they've made and they'll say, my God, my God, and I believe that's when the first chapter of Proverbs comes into effect, when the Bible says men shall call upon God, but he'll not answer. Men will seek God, but they'll not find him. It's too late. They've already made their choice and their decision. I beg of you tonight, give your life to Christ. Don't even take the chance. Your intellect tells you that you can't believe it. Accept it by faith, and faith goes beyond your intellect. Just take the words of Jesus and say, tonight I don't understand all about it, 
but I'm by faith giving my life to Christ. I want my sins forgiven. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be lost. And then the Bible says something about the future of the person that is in Christ. The person that has come to the cross, the person that has come by faith to receive the Savior. The Bible says something about that. The Bible says that Paul was caught up into the third heaven and it was so glorious he couldn't even describe it. We are told in Scripture there is a heaven. I heard a man say the other day he didn't know. I know tonight by the eye of faith. I can't put heaven in my little brain. I can't understand heaven. I can't put God in a test tube. I can't even prove to you in a scientific laboratory that God exists. I can give you a great deal of proof, but not conclusively. I must accept by faith. I accept God's Word by faith, and God's Word teaches there is a heaven. And we're told a few things about it. We're told there's no more curse there, no more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. God is the source of all light. There will be no night there. Won't that be wonderful? And there'll be no sorrow. Think of it, no death, no suffering. We'll have wonderful bodies, spiritual bodies, like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no sorrow. There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no death. There won't be any hearses. There won't be any graveyards. There won't be any mortuaries. The undertaker will be out of business. It'll all be life and joy and glory. The Bible teaches that. The Bible says first it will be a place of righteousness. Oh, it'll be a holy place. And a lot of you people wouldn't enjoy it in heaven. Not unless you've been regenerated and have a new nature. Why, with your present old nature that you've got, your old sinful nature, you wouldn't enjoy it in heaven. Why, you'd get up there and they thought all the time and you don't enjoy it down here. And without a change of nature, heaven would be hell to you. That's the reason Jesus said you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again of the Holy Spirit. You must have a new nature. And then when you have a new nature, God's nature, then heaven becomes heaven. And then secondly, the Bible says it's a place of achievement and work and service. The Bible says his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Oh, we're going to serve him. There'll be new worlds to conquer. There'll be a new dimension to living. We'll be living in the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth dimension. Thirdly, it'll be a place of joy. The Bible says there was joy in heaven when man was created. The morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. The Bible says there was joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Three times the Bible says there's joy in heaven. One when God created man. Two, when one of you comes down this aisle to give your life to Christ, the Bible says heaven rejoices. Think of it. The angels sing or chant or shout. The orchestras play. There is joy in heaven when one person comes. And did you know tonight this meeting is being watched by heaven? Think of it. The eyes of heaven are on this meeting. Perhaps our loved ones that have gone on before, your father, your mother, your grandmother, 
Those that knew Christ are watching this meeting tonight and they're hoping that you'll come and give your life to Christ. They know that you need God, that you need Christ, that you've wasted your life. Oh, you've gone to church, you've lived a fairly decent life, but you've really never experienced Christ. The Bible says there will be joy in heaven when we all get there to be at Jesus' feet. What a glorious time it's going to be of singing and shouting and praising God and glorifying Him forever. Such exquisite beauty, such magnificence, such splendor, until when Paul tried to explain it, he couldn't. He said, I have not seen nor ear heard nor hath it entered into the heart of man what God hath prepared for them that love him. And then the Bible says it's going to be a place of reunion with loved ones. Are we going to know each other in heaven? Why, of course. Moses and Elijah knew each other when they were on Mount Transfiguration. One of them had been dead for 14 years, the other 900 years, but they appeared together on the Mount of Transfiguration and had a conference with Jesus. And Jesus once said, many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Of course we'll know each other. Old friends will be joined together again. What a reunion it's going to be. Husbands that have already gone and wives that are still here. What a time that's going to be. And these old bodies that are racked with pain and bent with age are going to have new bodies, a body like the body of the Lord Jesus and reunited with old friends. But the family circle is going to be broken because you're outside the family circle. You have never really come to Jesus. Then the Bible says it's going to be an eternal place. The glory of Nineveh and Babylon are gone. The glory of New York will someday fade. The glory of Paris will be gone. But there is a city built in the sky, eternal that will never fade. The Bible says there is no night there. What a wonderful, glorious world Christ is preparing for us. Are you ready? Do you want to go? Which do you want to go to? You want to go to the world that was prepared for the devil and his angels that is called hell? Or do you want to go to the world that is prepared by Christ for his saints. Well, I want to tell you, you may laugh at me down here. You may say that I'm non-intellectual. You may say that I don't know what I'm talking about. You may say that it's speculation. Say anything you like. It doesn't disturb me in the slightest. I have the greatest peace and joy and happiness in my heart because tonight I know where I'm going. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed against that day. These things I write unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. I know it tonight. There's not a doubt. You say, Billy, you mean you don't have... Not a doubt. I've accepted it by faith. And the conviction grows every day as my faith grows that if I died tonight that I'll be in heaven in the next moment. And the Bible says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. When I tell you that you have to come to Jesus Christ and give yourself to him before you can get to heaven and escape hell, you say, well, that's foolish. Of course it is. The Bible says it was. 
The Bible says it's foolishness to them that are perishing because your minds are blinded by sin. Your conscience is dulled. Your will is paralyzed by sin. How do you get to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't get there except through Christ, and the Bible says it's a narrow road, very narrow. Jesus said it's a narrow gate. The gate is the cross. You must come and give yourself to Christ. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you really turned from sin to God? Has there ever been a moment when you really received Christ into your heart? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You must receive him. I want to tell you, if I didn't know tonight that my sins were forgiven, if I didn't know I was in Christ, you couldn't drag me out of this Colosseum till I'd settled it. And if you have a doubt about it, don't you leave here till you've settled it. Because the Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with a man. The Bible says, he that hardened his heart, being often reproved, shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. Come and give your life to Christ now while there's time.
Mama, 
Oh 
kagabi kabibi shoboka ari kongewa Yesu yarabinyeretse no kubandirimba nacyo gacyo ni gihamya sinarinzi kamazi yahindu kurutare sinarinzi kibuye jameri bibabi kugusuzugurwa n'ububuzima ubungubunaje narivuye mu rumenyi Yemeje kubitumana ho hagati imana ndetse nabayikunda amiteguye gutwara makuru uko nzaje nyabona niko nzaje nyatanga ubusuzugurwa n'ububuzima ubungubunaje narivuye mu rumenyi yemeje kubitumana ho Kuba Sango natwe dukomere kigabo ibitwasamiye yo kudutera ubwoba kugusuzugurwa n'ububuzima ubungubu nange nabikuye mu bumenyi yemeje kubitumanaho hagati imana ndetse nabayikunda niteguye gutwara makuru Kwanza Yemeje kubitumanaho hagati imana ndetse nabayikunda amiteguye gutwara makuru uko nzaje nyabona niko nzaje nyatanga ubusuzugurwa n'ububuzima ubungubu nange nabikuye mu rumenyi yemeje kubitumanaho
Thank you. 